Hey everyone and welcome to Print It and Ship It, the podcast where we talk games and making games. I'm Chris from Madison, Wisconsin, of course, and with me as always in the Twin Cities, Adam. Adam, how's it going, man? Hey Chris, how's it going? Doing well? Oh, just living the dream, enjoying the long weekend. Memorial Day weekend, just sweltering with heat up here, um, trying to stay indoors uh, or with my feet in the water. Um, finally got a little bit of rain and got to walk the dogs, but man, it's been brutally hot. Yeah, actually, I just saw on the news this was the hottest Memorial Day ever in Wisconsin, which is pretty crazy. Yeah, my car said 99 today. Yikes. Oh, my God. We're um, obviously Midwest people, and we will complain about the weather no matter <laughs> which direction it lands on. So, Big Sorry. time weather complainers, yeah. Sorry for everyone in Texas and Arizona where you're just like, 93? Yeah. <laughs> off the AC. Right. Um, Freshest air in the world, AC. It's always nice to be able to have a good excuse to stay inside or go to a lake or something. We uh, we, we made it up to uh, Cabin Con. Um, one of my um, ex-corkers invited me up. Um, they've been doing this annually now for four years. And uh, so I drove about an hour away. Um, again, it was hot out, but they were next to a lake. So, you know, got some got some solid foot in the water time, but played a few games. Um Played five tribes, which was great to get back to the table. Um, nice. Super, uh, super, not super crunchy, but like uh, a lot of analysis paralysis potential in that one. But this one, you're you're picking up a group of meeples and then dropping them down Mancala style, and then based on the meeple color that you end up on, you have a way to score points. One of five different ways. Um, it's super. Uh, really, really interesting decisions baked into this game. Um, one of my favorite meeples is the assassin. You can assassinate either other players' meeples or something on the board. If you assassinate something on the board that opens a tile, you're again keeping uh, taking control of that tile with one of your camels, scoring points. Just feels super cool when you line up this big like five meeple drop and you like cross over your own path, assassinate the only guy like the, the guy that you drop down. Love it. Is it very um? It's very Euro-y, right? It's Euro-y. Point salad as they come, but, um, you know, solid solid Euro in my opinion. Awesome. What else have you been playing? Uh, the, so the other game is called Hand of Fate, and this is a 2015 PC game. Uh, kind of. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I've seen this. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it was a Humble Bundle, and I was, like, just looking through some recommendations and had that one so i loaded it up and it's kind of like a deck beat uh deck builder meets action rpg um i'm i'm not necessarily going to recommend this game uh like you must play this but you like installing now <laughs> i own it as well <laughs> you know what it, it, it did a pretty cool job of bringing a tabletop type feel and merging that with a digital type um you know digital type experience and so this is not a very this is not a traditional type deck builder, but like you still have a lot of randomness in deck building um, and, and um, you know, like deck control uh, as you proceed through the game. And so interesting. And I, I really enjoyed it. I will continue to play it. Not necessarily, you know, a, a big recommendation, but yeah, that's me. What about yourself? Well, uh, before we go on, I mean, it's kind of interesting because I think that's a really interesting space for us to discuss in the future for sure is because you see a lot of, um, digital board games going digital, right? Like Asmodee is or Asmodee is digitizing like what feels like their entire collection. Yep. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting to see um, these board games making it in the digital world, and then at, like obviously Hand of Fate is more of a digital game first. It wasn't like a translation. 
But totally. it's kind of an um, interesting transition that the market is taking. And I was I was rather impressed with the action RPG combat that they were able to scrounge up. I mean, you think think about this from a development standpoint. Like, it's a single player game. I believe it's not it's not multiplayer at all. But mm-hmm. they're still able to like bake in a, the feel of a deck builder with the feel of an action RPG, which is I mean that's a pretty cool crossover. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, but sorry, um, what I've been playing um, it's t- is our annual terraria playthrough oh gosh um, yeah so yeah the, uh, raves is um very familiar with this because it, it is not uncommon for us to be talking about this in our mumble server that we have between our friend group um so pretty much every year um a group of us a, a small <laughs> subset of our friend group gets together and fires up a terraria server this is the best way i can explain terraria is 2d minecraft so instead of building in a 3D realm, it's very 2D, pixelated, um, beautiful pixel art style. And it's just a game with really good progression that we pretty much have memorized at this point. But um, <laughs> the hardcore it's just one of those games. For the mis- yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's funny because it's like it's um, it is one of the games that like, yes, we play it every year. And like I you, you save your character from every year and we, they all have about 40 hours worth of play over the last like five years off. My characters have that much time. And it's like, that's about right. Like you play this game for a couple of weeks and we, we beat it and then, uh, or we don't. And then we just kind of move on and move on to the next game. But it's just one of those like games for me that's evergreen. And I think it, it's really, it kind of speaks to like, um, why a lot of, like a lot of board games. Cause it has like a really good loop. Like the thing that kind of keeps you coming back is like, yes. Okay. I want to get this item and I know how to do it, but how, like, I know what I need to do, but how do I achieve it? And I think that's a very interesting um, philosophy that I kind of bring to board gaming is like, yes, okay. Or if I'm trying to think of like how to solve something in designing a board game, I go, yes, the player should know how to do it or what they need to do, but how do they get there is the question. Yeah. And what it really comes down to is a race to the boots. Whoever can get the movement <laughs> speed the fastest, they have the uh, gloating power for the next two or three weeks. Yeah. Oh, actually, probably for the entire yeah. year until the next go <laughs> at it. So um, other than that, I've just kind of been playing some good staples. We played another game of Downforce this weekend. Okay. Um, and then, um, which we mentioned in a previous episode, but then we also broke out Betrayal at House oh, on the Hill. It. Um, with the roof expansion so um, in my mind makes it a significantly better game because the um, endings the i forget what they're called totally slipping on the what haunts. they're called um the, the haunts at the end of the game are um in my mind or at least they feel significantly more play tested oh nice um we, we haven't we've only played a couple of them but we haven't run into one that just felt like the rules are poorly written because i feel like the base game has can be a lot of fun but like some of the haunts just like leave so many open questions and especially as like um a person who likes to design and think about things like that it's like why why would they word it like that all that's doing is confusing but um i feel like in the expansion they did a great job of like kind of reining that in and we had a really awesome game but if anyone hasn't seen this game um it's very much a exploring a haunted house tile placement game you move through rooms gather items um read the cheesy story and super lean into it and everyone thinks it's um either really stupid or really fun and then at one point in the game someone turns into the bad guy and you have to um 
either work together with everyone else to kill him or just die because it was very poorly written. Let's but, pause there for a second because that, yeah. this is like one of the coolest moments in board gaming um, is it's, somebody becomes, somebody takes control of the haunt. So it completely flips on its head and you're, you're playing a completely different game than you were before. You're sure you're, you're kind of still in the same house and setting, but the rules are changed. The, um, the explorers don't necessarily know all the rules uh, of the haunt. The haunt mm-hmm. has secret information. So it, Man, it, it is one of the coolest like times and you know events or moments in a board game, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. I think it, it is like one of those like it turns a cooperative game into a one versus many, which is really interesting, right? Because yep. most games just obviously do that from the get go. Um, but the only downside to that is if you're not playing with seasoned people, like the person who's new to board gaming, it's like the first half of the game is very simple for someone to join in. But then if they end up being that person, it can be a little overwhelming. Yep. Totally. Totally. It's always me. I I mean, yeah, I, I work very hard to try to make it me, but it just never pans out as much as I want it to. You know, you're like, Oh, I'm just going to roll super bad on this one. It's like, Oh, of course I rolled great. Thanks. Whenever I play a trader game, I, and like the, for the first time, I'm always the traitor. And it just never fails. Oh, really? I'm just like, I don't know how this works. Someone else has played it. Uh, I'm going to make a fool yeah. out of myself. And I always do. And I always ask a question that like, you know, obviously I'm the Makes traitor. It. Yeah. Or like, what's another good game? Dead of Winter has a good like traitor mechanic, yeah. but that's kind of from the offset. But yeah, that, those like, it's kind of interesting because those are kind of hard to teach because it's kind of like you have to teach everyone how to play both roles which can be a little overwhelming right like so it's like oh if you're a trader you want to do this if you're not you want to do that and i think that's um a very interesting talking point because it's like oh do you um how do you teach this game maybe that that's a really good future thing for us to talk yeah i I think um, building out the games i mean we have a whole you know we have a whole demo crew we bring with us um to gen con which uh that that group is awesome love you guys uh hope we can keep that going really strong and uh We've we we um, have put together some cheat sheets for each of our games, mm-hmm. and I think teaching a game is as Im- as important as understanding the rules, like knowing how to teach it as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially at a convention, right? Because there's there's like a a level of I don't say oh it it is there's a level of salesmanship to it, right? Like making it an ex- a fun experience versus just right. a um, enhancing it. Yep. Here are the rules, and I think that's like a thing that yeah, I think. I'm very proud of our group for doing is being fun to actually play the game or teach the game with. But 100% agree. Not not for us to brag about our awesome <laughs> team over and over, but um, let's just jump into um, the announcement we have. So a uh, future segment we want to do, Adam, what do you think? Yep. So we want to make this a cornerstone of the podcast. Um, we're looking for uh, designers or other publishers, whoever, um, to send us your two-minute pitch of a game that you have in your head or potentially have um, playtesting. Um, we promise to give you honest feedback uh, about your pitch, um, both critical uh, but also positive. And Super for this to be true... For me, though, so sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apologize in advance. No, I, I think this is a great opportunity for people looking to um, you know, get in touch with publishers. It's, it's tough to get a publisher's time. What we're trying to do is make our time um, more available to designers and people that, that want to get more experience in this industry. Um, no, no pitch is a bad pitch. Um, 
but uh, we will certainly always have um, positive and critical pieces of feedback. Um, again, again, we're, we're a publisher um, that publishes the you know games that we love. Um, and we have, uh, you know, like we found a certain type of game that we like to publish too. So we'll probably give you our uh, feedback, but then we'll also m- maybe shed some light on it, what others may or may not think about it as well. So, um, yeah, I think uh, a big thing to mention is that um, obviously being a publisher, this is not like a American Idol where you send it in. If it's great, we're going to whatever with it it's really just a hey let's make good like help people make good games and get um ideas and how maybe maybe offer suggestions or even just like hey if you have something that you really like and it's in a good spot and you want to just kind of get it out there like um i think that's a big part of this because obviously you have to be willing to be okay with your ideas being shared on a podcast but like the end game of this um of your project is typically to have your project shared with as many people as it's possible. True. So, so might as well start getting now. it. Um, yeah. Kind of getting it out there, um, getting it in front of more, I guess, uh, ears um, would um, probably be not a and, bad thing. And another two things I'd like to say too: publishers often see a, see a pitch or a game and know who else it might fit really well with. So we'll be able to um, speak to some of those things. I mean, we have a lot of, you know, contacts with other publishers in the industry, industry, small, um, and, and, and not small. And, uh, um, you know, like people share knowledge, small, and small. <laughs> small and super small. No, um, yeah, no, I mean, we're, we're growing and we're, we're meeting more people and, uh, you know, um, so the, the, the third thing I'd like to say is that oftentimes my first prototype is actually a pitch. It is not a game prototype itself. If that pitch resonates with other people, uh, then I know it's worth spending my time to go actually prototype it. And so you can use, feel free to use this, uh, channel as, as a pitch, um, to see if it's worth prototyping an idea or not. So. Yeah. And, um, obviously, I mean, I guess not obviously, um, that is kind of where the name of this podcast comes from. So, I mean, Adam does, um, pitches to me like this, literally, every 30 minutes no <laughs> quite day. often of just like hey here's an idea here's an idea and um it's it's a it, the joke that we have is as soon as it's great we go print it print it print, print it. it like and we're like this is great print it and obviously that is not like the moment we go oh, all right so kick started it's more of a this is this we're on to something we're, let's keep we're moving. confident let's keep with the pitch with the idea with, with the with the thought so so let's test it <laughs> is what we really mean exactly um but and then once the ship it part is the actual. <laughs> and, and then the other thing I throw out there too is like, hey, if, if we see an idea that that sounds awesome and, um, you know, sounds like something that we would want to publish, like uh, there there's definitely a potential for a follow up email asking for a prototype. Um, and who knows what can come of, you know, making relations and um, talking in the industry. So uh, go, I would say go for it. Yeah. So um yeah, I mean, and just letting people know how they can yes. send that stuff to us. Um, you can um, email us. You can find emails on adamsapplegames.com. You can message us on Facebook. Um, and we're willing to either take written text um, and read it aloud or read it in advance and kind of give the, a short overview of what we thought about it. Or, um, of course, you could send in an audio pitch, which I think may be good practice because realistically, when you're making a game, one of the biggest things is being able to, like, communicate it and be the salesman or the yep. advocate for it. So um, it might be a good practice run to kind of 
for you as a person um, in front of a mic saying, hey, this is how I would explain this game. And like being forced to condense it to a smaller time frame would probably help you um, do it very quickly. Because, yeah, I mean, Adam and I go to Gen Con and that's one of our biggest time frames, like conventions where you don't have a person for a long time. You have them for you got not even minutes. two minutes typically because yeah. they're already walking by. Yeah. So getting that quick, like, Hey, how's it going? And grabbing attention is um, a good thing to practice. Yep. And we'll help you home that, distill it and give you some feedback on it. And uh, yeah, hope, hopefully um, we can start airing those as soon as they come in. Um, and please, uh, please be a guinea pig, you know, so make it happen. Yeah. Try to try to um, use no pay mic. I'm not saying you have a great mic, but yeah, just like yeah, I, I think I think the, the audio <laughs> microphone um, is probably preferred because we, we can get um, some flavor and some some tonality coming through your voice on the pitch. Um, if it's not easy to understand, we will interpret and um, turn it into text that we can read. So, um, or realistically, your phone in a quiet room is probably super good. Yeah. So, phone speakers are pretty. Microphones are good these yep. days. Cool. So we have a, we have a feature segment, right? Yeah. So um, this week, this is a topic that kind of came up in our last project. I mean, Kickstarter project that we ran um, and b- even beforehand, it was should we self-publish or not? So that means do we as even as a small publisher who has published games, publish our newest game or do we take other opportunities? Yeah. Wow. This is this is a meaty question. And I, I expect this one to resonate with a lot of people out there. Everyone has a game. Um, I the, one of the biggest questions people are going to ask themselves is, can I, should I do this myself or should I try to find a publisher? Um, even if you are proficient in the skill of publishing, uh, you know, the skill set of publishing games, it may not necessarily be the right choice. Um, that being said, we want to balance yeah. this conversation with motivation for you to, um, if you have an idea, um, to, to pursue that dream as well. Yeah, because I think that, yeah, I mean, both those avenues are totally fine. Like, realistically publishing i mean like self-publishing is obviously a lot of work and some people may have really great ideas and not uh, have the skill set to do all that like realistically the skill set requires marketing um, networking and like the ability to um, put yourself out there and not everyone has that, right? But game that design, mean, development, graphic design, yeah, logistics, working with manufacturer. I mean, there's tons of stuff. Yeah. Not to be um, not to be intimidating, but it, it's it's a significant amount of stuff. I mean, it's, it's like any small business ownership that you really need to be signing up for a small business um, when you're getting into this stuff. Um, that being said, it's all doable, and there's a ton of awesome, awesome, awesome resources out there that you can seek uh to learn more about it this podcast is a is one of them but i I think there are also um plenty more um legacy resources that are you know and and, um just have you know so much like wealth of knowledge Um, people people are very open and honest and if you ask them questions too they'll tell you what they have done so um that's another big piece of the publishing industry uh and then the game the board game industry in general is that people are just going to be authentic and honest uh, honest when you ask them a question hey how much did you pay to ship this game they'll tell you yep yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the skill set um, is a thing that is, and I mean, I guess when we say self-published, that doesn't mean it's a one-person thing either, right? Like, um, one thing I highly recommend is reaching out to your friend group and or um, people in your area and finding people who have those skills that you may not have. 
Um, totally. So finding people who are good at the social media side of things, finding graphic designers. So, um, networking is huge here and reaching out and finding people that you trust to work with and can help you achieve the, the self-publishing dream. So one of my biggest, um, you know, like experiences with this is, is so interesting because, you know, we, we, we came up with this idea of sword crafters. Um, we were play testing in uh, late fall last year and the play tests were coming back and they were like overwhelmingly positive people, essentially like with a lot of other, you know, very um, accomplished game designers and whatnot saying, mm-hmm. hey man, you can, you probably can take your pick on a publisher. Always and a little, a little scary when it's so positive, but a little scary also when exciting. It's so positive. Right. Well, I mean, yep. it, the game is doing like so many interesting and different things that, um, it, you know, I, I, I understand the response. That being said, p- people's mm-hmm. feedback was also, hey, this, this, like the scoring system needs a ton of work at that point. So they yep. recognize the value, they recognize the, the, um, the hook potential here, and they said essentially, you probably could take your pick. Also, we have some bad feedback for you, but I mean, you always have to balance positive and negative. So anyway. Yep. That, that left us with a pretty serious question mark. Should we actually self-publish this one or not? One of the downsides is our brand, right? Is so yeah. we did a, a beard game and we did a food truck game. And now, wait, we're going to do a sword building game? Like, that makes no freaking sense. Yeah, because it's really interesting. You look at some company, you look at like a level 99. And like you when you see a level 99 game, you know that's a level 99 game. You no. Know. And... It's really interesting because for us, our branding was like this Americana, like, oh, we are the um, it's an Americana, American dream type game. That's right. Where you're if you can start beers. the business, then you can make the game about it. Right. So we told ourselves, well, blacksmiths are cool. You could be a blacksmith. Yes. <laughs> Here we go. But yeah. no, I mean, that's true. Like fitting a brand can be difficult. I mean, not obviously not all companies are that way. Right. Like there are companies who just have vastly different games from one to the next. And that's totally acceptable um but it's it is it is a consideration to take into um I mean something to take into consideration and what was going through my mind is probably a, a subset of three things like what was the next game in the pipeline um we we had a game in the pipeline but sword crafters felt like a like a better game in the pipeline to put into the pipeline yep. second thing was um the creative control so uh not not that i'm i'm, I'm not I'm not that I'm not okay with giving away creative control, but like we had a pretty mm-hmm. solid vision for this. And this game is so different that um, maintaining that creative control is something that I, I think was very desirable at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I think for us, we really believe, and I mean, I don't want to say believe in the past tense because we believe that this game, Swordcrafters, can, um, can do very well. So that was like one of the things that we like talk through is like okay yes if we um handed this game off to someone else could they do better with it but then us losing that creative control was very scary because um we had a vision for what we thought it would turn out to be and it it, you know it's kind of like i don't say it's like your kid but it's like a thing it's like oh you know this is the thing that you've grown and made and then if you hand it off to another person and they change something and you lose that ability to say no i don't like that anymore it's kind of a little bit scary because totally. who knows if if it doesn't execute in the way you think it will then you have all those levels of doubt so it's kind of like do you take it all in on your own and take the additional risk or do you hand it and, off? and i think the term we used was actually this game could make make the company um and not, yeah. not that like 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 in any company um can can be a big board game company with one hit 
evergreen game. Like that's kind of the way that the market works. You've probably heard other people say yeah. that. Um, the munchkins this, of the world. This uh. felt like like something that we wanted to hang on to because it had that potential. Now, just because a game has that potential doesn't mean it's going to realize that potential. A lot of a lot of you know work and effort and marketing and timing and price point and retailers go into um, making that a reality. But um, this is what I've been all like. the factors in which way you should listen to our podcast to talk yeah. <laughs> all the future topics, <laughs> all the great future topics. Um, so, so one really interesting thing came up uh, just to continue the conversation. Made it made a Kickstarter project. We launched Sword Crafters. Um, we are funded or very close to funded, but um, to be perfectly honest, we thought that this game had such a unique hook that it would have. Um, it, w- it would have been more high flying of a project. That being said, you have to be, you have to bring the crowd to crowd uh, crowds crowdfunding. So like, yeah, I think that's a, a really good topic for us to discuss in the future. I mean, like realistically, when we launched this project, we were like, this is going to be gangbusters. Yeah, and we were very humbled pretty quickly absolutely, on it. Absolutely, but um, I think that was a really good experience for us to go through. And I I think we have talked about like doing a very good post mortem on that. So. Get excited yeah, TBD. But one really interesting event that happened mid project is is a um, an established, very reputable publisher approached us uh, mid Kickstarter project and said, "Hey, like, saw what you're doing. Think it looks really cool. Want to want to play a copy of this game? Um, would consider publishing it." Uh, and and that really made us step back and we're just like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, yeah, what?" And that's where this whole segment, like this whole podcast is happening because this was a huge point of back and forth for us because we were very like, oh my gosh, like if it was a, it was very much a situation of like, we would publish this and we have published games before, but like this person could possibly take it to the next, this, this company could take it to the next level. And it was like, oh, we should consider obviously consider this. And so we got pretty, pretty serious about that consideration. We, we probably exchanged about 30 or so emails back and forth, um, did send a prototype, Very long got emails. the prototype back. Um, the, the other publisher, you know, really loved the game, um, said it wasn't a brand fit at that point. But, um, I, you know, I, I think th- this was just like, like a, a really, really interesting, like inflection point kind of in that Kickstarter project in, in the creation of sword crafters, mm-hmm. because not only was it, um, we had to rethink our initial assumptions, but it was also like two other facets. Now we had to think about facet. Number one was there's another interested party. What, what would they want to see? How would they do this? And yeah, the creative control aspect of it. And and then the second thing was like, um, did we like, did we mess up? Like, did we do something yes. <laughs> that uh, is, well, is pushing people away, you know, where, like with one small fix, like that would have, you know, changed the trajectory of the project. Now well, that's really, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say like Kickstarter was, was absolutely a crazy time. Um, it always, every month it, it fluctuates, but th- this month seemed to be a very crazy and an intense month with a lot of giant, giant projects. That's bangers for sure. Yeah. Um, commanding high dollar price points from that, from that market. That being said, we brought our, mar- we brought our market, we brought our audience in our, um, our, our, backers our supporters um were there for us that yep. being said it just it, it didn't hit the next level like we didn't expand outside of that reach yeah because it was really interesting because that's what really made us question the should we be publishing this um because at that point we were very close to funded but i mean obviously in kickstarter when you go for it like when you go to kickstarter the dream is to just have this huge project right like 
yep. if this project could just do a hundred, like a thousand percent of gold, that'd be amazing. And like whatever. And um, since we were already being humbled on like the trajectory of the project, it was like, if this person sees it, then what did we miss? Like, right. like, are we doing something wrong or is there something we should change here? And it really made us look internally to go like, would this, um, would this be something of oh, we should remodel? We should take this down and redo everything as redo the rules or repitch this game better. And it was, um, but at the same time, it was very, um, I don't say, I don't know what the word is. I mean, we felt um, that like by this person liking the game, this company liking the game, we're like, oh, okay, so we have something here. It was a like, positive lift. Absolutely. Yes, I, for sure. I think too that, you know, in retrospect, like, you know, when, when someone takes interest in something that you're doing, like it's, it's really easy to get gaga about it and say, oh my yeah. gosh, like this could happen and that could happen and this could happen um, and think about all the possibilities. But the, the reality is it's like, validating for sure. Like there are so many questions that open up when that happens. Like what timing would this happen? What price point would this happen at? What, you yeah. know, would this How would our backers feel about right? this? Cause, Cause you know, every publisher yeah. has a catalog of, of games that they're looking to bring to the market. And all the, all those have a significant amount of development and timeline um, associated with them. So just because someone says they want to do something and even signs a contract doesn't mean it's actually going to be, it's actually going to happen, right? That could set yeah. it back two years and then it, not, it never becomes a thing. I think that's a really good point because I mean, as a person, um, I mean, if you are out there developing a game and someone approaches you about um, publishing that game, I think that's a very good part, part to bring up in that conversation. Maybe you're not looking to self-publish and maybe you are looking to, have someone else publish your game, like have that conversation I mean, make sure to ask that question. Like, Hey, what do you, is the timing on this? Because that can be really make or break, especially for, for us, like a game like Starcrafters with this 3d design. Like I, I really think 3d is going to be one of the bigger things in the next few years. So it was like getting to market sooner was a big deal. And if this company, if a company came in and said, yeah, Hey, we want to make your game, but it's going to take two and a half years. It's like, that's a little scary proposition to the overall idea. 100%. Of the I, I would say that, um, and we, I want to wrap this up in the next three minutes because we want to keep it quick in a, in, into a, a quick 30 minutes, but a tight 30, 30, 30 um, <laughs> just because your game is published and self-published doesn't mean there's a, there's a life after that either. I mean, it's definitely a possibility that a publisher sees something that's of value um, and, and makes an offer on it in the future. And, and I've actually talked to a few yep, people sure. that have actually happened to, and a few of them have been really successful and a few of them have been like, Oh, um, you know, it's still in the works or, uh, you know, games, games were created. I, I, now I don't have creative control anymore, but that's actually a great thing. Cause now I don't have to worry about warehousing it, cash flow production. So yes, yeah. that, that kind of a play can that's take a, a lot of questions like out of, um, out of you from the future, you know? Um, yeah, for sure. I think self-publishing is one of those things where it, it is the very common first step because if you're, if like, you don't have networking people don't know you people don't know your games like it's hard to get your name out there in this market obviously but like once you have that one game or two games under the, your belt like it's possible that people go oh that's the guy who made this or sure the the person who like made this game so you're you're much more likely to have people approach you or have people to approach with your games and 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 maybe a few points for going with a publisher so we've talked a lot about self-publishing so going with a publisher mm -hmm. you are going to be exposing your design to a team that is going to develop it, hone it, um, perfect it likely have having multiple um, people add, um, add ideas and add, you know, expand upon the vision or hone the vision often ends up in a better product. I know from experience working with uh, Ryan Lambert on truck off 
and bringing mm-hmm. Chris in the loop where, I mean, our heads kind of bashed um, and, and were melded together. And we, we started to say yes. And, and the, the, the yep. game, I mean, it took on a, like kind of a new, um, just, just, it evolved over time and it became better and better and better yep. product. I mean, the, the name truck off wasn't a thing when the game was signed, it was called cheesers. <laughs> really? I don't think fun I ever fact, knew that. Dude, uh, truck off used to be called cheesers. Also, fun um, behind the scenes on that. Go truck yourself was in the running. It was, but, but we had to think of a, the right level of edginess, and so we went truck off. <laughs> exactly. That's another really good future topic. I mean, that kind of goes in the brand, yeah, bit, totally. right? Like, awesome. Um, yeah, so I mean, we're, we're kind of running out of time here, but realistically, I guess, um, feel free to contact us about questions of publishing or self-publishing, um, and we'd be happy to answer questions that you have or, um, walk through or, um, walk through any scenarios or either us talking through a scenario that we've gone through. So, um, we're happy to share those experiences, obviously, um. Please feel yep. free to reach so out. So contact us, uh, Adams Apple Games, on Facebook. Send us a message there at Adams Apple Games on Twitter. Um, Adam at AdamsAppleGames.com will get you the email. Yep. You can also shoot Chris and Adams Apple Games, but I'm sure you're very <laughs> often. Well, yeah, he does. I do. But, um, cool. Uh, well, thanks everyone for listening and check them. Um, check them. <laughs>